Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com, and today we're actually joined by one of our partners, WWC Global. They are a federally focused women-owned management consulting firm with a wide portfolio of clients, including the DOD, the Department of State, Department of Energy, and others. They are ranked at the top 65 of women-owned contracting firms among federal agencies and are headquartered in Tampa, Florida, offering opportunities for cleared candidates everywhere, including virtually. So today I have Lauren Weiner, CEO and co-founder, and Heidi Snell, Chief People Officer, on the line. In 2004, Lauren co-founded the firm with Donna Honeycutt, who serves as the president and COO at WWC Global. Lauren continues to lead the company as CEO today and is the host of the WWC podcast, Winning with Connections. Heidi oversees talent acquisition, human resources, marketing, and security. Today, I'm really excited to be chatting about the company history programs to retain male spouses and veterans, which is a big audience of clearancejobs.com, and maybe some other virtual interviewing and onboarding tips as we continue to work in this new normal in national security. So ladies, thank you so much for joining me today for this episode. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yes, thank you for having us. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So Lauren, I thought that we could chat first about the WWC Global story. And Heidi, I know that you're actually one of the original employees as well. So let's start with that. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I founded it along with Donna Honeycutt, who's the the co-founder and chief operating officer. When we both found ourselves overseas in Naples, Italy, on military orders with our spouses and found out that we couldn't get jobs as military spouses, I had come out of the uh, Office of Management and Budget in the White House, and Donna had come out of corporate law, and we both found ourselves completely unable to get any but entry-level jobs on base. And there was actually literally a policy against spouses being able to obtain anything above a GS-9 position. So we didn't do well with that. We didn't sit home very well. Uh, neither of us had kids at the time. And so we started the firm. And really, we started it just to get jobs back in the States until we could get back and, and restart our kind of traditional careers. And instead it took off. So we went from one and a half of us, uh, we got our first contract in uh, the end of 2005 um, for fiscal year 2006. And it was for one and a half FTEs. And then somebody two weeks later turned around and said, hey, wait a second, how did Tony get you? I want one of you. And if by one of us, he meant a smart military spouse, we we had plenty of those on base. Uh, so we hired uh, someone to do uh, another project. And then someone else turned to us and said, hey, wait a second, I want one of you. So that first couple of years, really, we were just trying to play catch up because we grew so quickly just by the strength of the military spouses that we hired Oconus, you know, overseas. And so by the time right around 2009, we got more strategic in our growth and really started chasing work. For the first couple of years, it really was the work chasing us. And so we went from you know one and a half of us then to about 300 employees now, 15 wow. years later, um, across, I don't remember anymore what the, the number of time zones are. I think it's 15 time zones. Or 15 time zones. Heidi would know this better than, you know, 24 locations at this point. So we're very different than we started, but but it was a really neat way 
to start a company. We, we really never set out to be entrepreneurs. We never set out to start a company. We literally just started out because we needed jobs. Lauren, to add to that really quickly too, this is Heidi. I think one of the things that uniquely positioned us and I think relates to clearance jobs is that we started, because the company was started overseas, we started recruiting and hiring cleared people right away. And I think that experience starting in 2004 and continuing to today has been a great lesson for us. Because of the overseas environment, cleared positions were a part of our day-to-day lives from day one. Sure. Well, and it's such a natural fit that defense contracting, you know, it we're retaining when active duty folks are transitioning out of the military. It's just such a natural fit that we include military spouses in that story. Heidi, tell us a little bit more about your experience being one of the original employees. Absolutely. Similar to Lauren and Donna, we relocated overseas. My spouse is a DOD civilian employee. And so I always tell everybody I left my career in human capital to go live under the Tuscan sun. And Naples, Italy, though beautiful and wonderful, did not end up being that under the Tuscan sun experience that I thought it was going to be. And like Lauren said, I found myself taking way too many Italian classes and cooking classes and thinking I really need my career back. And so in walks Lauren and Donna with the uh, this company. And I met Lauren first uh, virtually. And then I met her in the Naples coffee shop there on the military base, which was very central to how we interviewed people and founded the company. We say we were founded off of a a good love for coffee. And I met Lauren and being a human capital professional, she interviewed me, thought I was the right fit for performance management job there on base. And I very quickly told her, nope, this is not how you should interview someone. So our first encounter together was me coaching her on uh, interview processes. And needless to say, somehow I still got the job. Uh, <laughs> but that was my start with uh, with WWC Global. And I worked on site there with the Navy as an analyst in performance management, helped them implement a new performance management system for across the DOD. But specifically, I worked within the Navy in five or six different countries that we worked with there. And then from there became our site lead, there became the director of our overseas practice. And the rest is history. And I've been with the company uh, 13 years later, and very excited to see how we've grown and where we're at today. The culture of your company and these stories just radiates from this conversation, I feel like. I guess to offer insight to our other partners or cleared recruiters, what sort of programs does the company have to retain military spouses or veterans? That's a great question. I'll let Lauren speak to this in uh, just a minute because I think really part of the strategy of the organization was so that we could retain some of these fantastic veterans and military spouses that we first met in Naples, Italy. So Lauren, I'll, I'll let you talk about the growth piece of this and then I'll chime in on some of the programs we have to retain and to reward our employees. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what you hit on is is really the culture is, is so critical. Um, we are... First and foremost, a firm that is really dedicated to the government mission. We are truly not in this because, again, we didn't start out to to be entrepreneurs or to start this firm or to make money, but really as a different way for service. And I think that comes through in all of the decisions that we make. And that is probably the biggest driver of retention and, frankly, the biggest driver of recruitment in the way that we go about things and the way that the people who are attracted to us and the people who stay with us are because of that culture, first and foremost. Certainly, Heidi and her staff have set up, and I'll let her talk about them, the actual programs around professional development, around career progression, around our WWC University um, and LinkedIn Learning. All of that kind of stuff is is 
critical, you know, our, our benefits package, all that kind of stuff is critical for that recruiting and retention. But much more than that, it's the culture, it's the dedication to the mission of the senior leadership and our employees that are so enmeshed and so intertwined and so on point that that becomes the driver of our our really great retention rates. To add to that, what Lauren said, we really found and center our culture on the concept of credibility. The fact that when Lorna Donna first started the company and we as uh, military uh, affiliated spouses came on to work with Lauren and Donna, it was really that concept of we have to be here on this military base to see the consequences, good and bad, of the programs that we implement, the projects that we work with the military on. And so it was that investment in the long-term credibility of our clients' work that really propelled the culture statement, which was actually created and uh, started create, being created in 2011 by a group of employees that came together and said, as we grow as an organization outside of this Oconus environment and go back to the States and to the, as Lauren referenced, 24 different locations that we're in today, what is about WWC that's different than other organizations that our clients have worked for. So we looked at some of our CPARS ratings and the comments that were on that. We gathered notes from different client meetings that we had on feedback that we'd received and really found that the core was this credibility. And so we really created a culture statement based on that. And we drive our entire employee experience, our recognition and rewards program, our promotion philosophies off of that concept of long-term credibility. For instance, we in the company do an award every year where we look at who is that individual that's emulated that credibility across the company. And we do some kind of fun, almost funny interactions that get, get that award to the employee and that, uh, and that recognize that across the company. But that's just one way that we infuse our culture into different parts of what we do. I think something else that's really unique is that our employees are somewhat uniquely driven to really highlight the talents of military veterans and military spouses in ways that other companies maybe don't bring them as integrally into how the company operates. And so we participate in a variety of hiring our heroes initiatives. We participate in a lot of outside, almost philanthropic type endeavors to bring in the military community, to bring in military spouses in a way in our company where they really are the core of you know who we are and how we perform. Like Lauren said, we have an entire employee life cycle that talks about at each touch point with the employee, how we infuse that culture into their experience at WWC from the very initial interview, all the way to the time when they leave the organization. And we're hoping that they come back as an advocate referring their, their friends and colleagues back to WWC. So we take it really seriously that really our culture is a part of who we are. And we're really proud of that. I think recently we did an audit of our culture to look at as we're, we're continuing to go grow, does our culture really align with our employees? Or do they Can they embody that culture? Um, is everyone involved in that culture? And we found that over 90% of our employees said, yes, I understand that I can be involved in that. So we're really excited about how that works within the organization. Making sure that your culture is aligned with employees is super important when you experience growth as a contractor. And I kept on hearing credibility. And I do find that that is super important within the military community, whether that's folks that were directly serving or mill spouses. But it's also critical to the NATSEC mission if you are a defense contractor. So moving on to what kind of roles do you have available for either, you know, veterans or mill spouses who might, or mill spouses who might need to retain that employment while they're supporting their active duty partners. 
Absolutely. Great question. I'll take a piece of this and then I'll, I'll pass it back to Lauren also. Like we said, we operate worldwide. So, you know, if you're a military spouse that's transitioned to Oconus, there may be opportunities in the location you're in to work with WWC. We have remote positions all over the world with our headquarters team. We have headquarters team members that have operated in Zimbabwe, in, uh, in Malta. We have one right now in Bolivia and then all across the world. And so a lot of our headquarters employees have that ability to retain their position as they make military moves. And then some of the major locations that we're in stateside, Tampa, Florida, Washington, D.C., Hampton Roads, Virginia area. We have a lot of different in-person or on-site opportunities that are now now virtual opportunities in this time of the COVID pandemic, but would normally be on-site. So we really operate in many locations over the world. We are about 300 direct employees, and then we have you know 1099s in addition to that. So we're still a small company, but I'd say for the company of our size, we have a depth and a breadth that's, uh, that far exceeds most. Just to add a little bit to, to what Heidi has said is the types of positions that we have range from high-level policy positions where we are looking at the strategic planning or the policy documentation through financial management and some of the other, what I'd call back office support, all of the support operations for the operational military or State Department or what have you. And then more into operational roles. We do have a large practice that is training and exercise support for the military, particularly U.S. SOCOM, but also uh, the National Guard Bureau and a couple of other places, Homeland Security. And so we kind of range the gamut from more operational roles all the way to, again, high-level Pentagon policy, OSD-type roles, and kind of everything in between. So our website is fully populated with all of the roles that we have that are open at any given time. But pretty much, if you have a clearance, a lot of the jobs that we that we have, the vast, vast majority require a clearance. But if you have a clearance, odds are there is something that we do that fits with almost everyone out there that, that's done government work in the past. We cover a whole lot of ground in our in our positions. You know, we've touched on sort of, you know, the elephant in the room, COVID-19, the pandemic, seeing how defense contractors are adapting, also seeing how the national security field is a little bit insulated from things like that. But I know that WWC Global has been virtual for some time. So would you maybe be able to share some successes and obstacles that the company may have encountered during COVID-19 or how working virtually beforehand has really prepared you guys for this year or last year? You know, we really, we've been virtual from the outset. Literally within the first year of starting, Donna went back to uh, Tampa and I stayed Oconus and we ran the company from, you know, six time zones apart and two different continents. So we've, we've known how to work virtually and we've uh, brought people on and kept them on and managed around the virtual issues for 15 plus years. So we've done that well before there were great tools to do that. And we've adopted the tools as they've come on so that when COVID hit, you know, there were certainly challenges to COVID for everyone, but they were more around kind of the personal issues, making sure that that you didn't get sick, uh, figuring out how to deal with kids being home for our staff, the tools and the ability to manage people, we had been figuring out for 15 years. We know how to motivate people, for example, to, to work effectively from home. We know 
how to make sure that people have the relationships, even when they're not in the same room, even when they're not sitting over an, an actual water cooler, we have some some ways of making sure that they're they're interacting effectively and that their relationships don't suffer. So this was something that while it was rocked everyone's world differently um, and, and made everyone kind of sit up and take notice, from a corporate perspective, it really didn't have much effect. In fact, I think one of the things we were able to do well is turn to our customers who were struggling with this, particularly in the national security space, and help them figure out what tools they needed, help them figure out how to manage the staff remotely. All of the things that we had been learning over the course of 15 years became best practices that we could share with some of our customers as they struggled with it. So I think we were able to actually make it easier for the customers, not just for our staff on contract, but for their entire staff, which was a nice bonus. To piggyback on what Lauren's saying really quickly, one of the unique opportunities that we had is that we were founded in Naples, Italy. And as we all know, Italy became very central early on in the pandemic. And so our employees in Italy were experiencing two to three months ahead of us what we in the US were going to experience. So we started working with those commands early to figure out percentage of manning in the office versus working from home, remote, you know, ability to do non-cleared work remotely when people did need to come in and use the SIPRNet. So we started that all a couple months before it really hit hard here in the US. And I think that experience really taught us some lessons early on that we could bring back, like Lauren was saying, and be really proactive with our clients stateside about offering different COAs or different solutions to some of these opportunities and problems. I mean, we work in the defense intelligence space. So obviously having access to cleared space is extremely important. And so we knew early on that there would be some employees that would need the rotational ability to go into the office. So we were able to kind of address and talk about best practices that were already happening overseas before they actually, you know, landed here as problems in the United States that we had to deal with. So I think that uniqueness in itself positioned us well. Like Lauren, you know, said, we've been remote for so many years. So very early on in the pandemic, we started doing what we call WWC Global Happy Hours, where we got employees together from around the globe just for a time to talk to each other about the experience, to get a chance to uh, emote a little bit about what was going on, to ask questions. We had really high attendance, just giving people that space while they were sitting at home to feel connected, to ask their colleagues about what their experience has been. And then we also set up in our program management shop, a group to track the different nuances for COVID, who was in the office, who wasn't, you know, what percentage of manning we had, how to have these conversations with human resources about what happens when my kids are home, like Lauren said, when, you know, I may have been exposed to COVID. So we centralized that so that the noise for employees was really low and they could focus on their day-to-day work and know who to go to directly if they had questions or concerns about their situation. So I'd say, unfortunately, the early opportunity to address COVID OCONUS, like Lauren said, the fact that we've been set up like this for so long, we had so much experience. And the fact that we really, from a headquarters standpoint, set up our office, uh, program management office to address these nuances early, I think really helped that experience and that transition for our employees. One, one more thing just to add that we've learned very, very early on that worked really well here is the, the constant communications. When you are a virtual organization, 
you have to communicate more effectively in other mediums. And so that really worked well within COVID. There were lots of emails that went to the whole staff. There were, uh, like Heidi said, the, the virtual happy hours where the senior staff, the leadership of the firm were on and available. We had what may have felt sometimes to be over communication to make sure that everyone felt like they were being heard, they were being seen, even with a remote workforce, because it is so different than having everyone sitting in the office. Sure. Well, it certainly sounds like WWC Global had a leg up on the competition, you know, starting this 15 plus years ago, working in this environment. Piggybacking on that, Clearance Jobs is going to be sharing a white paper soon on virtual onboarding and management and really what the the importance it is in retention and bettering employee engagement and their experience. So what hacks would you be able to share on virtual onboarding and management and just what has worked at WWC Global, including, you know, the constant communication, any other hacks that you could share? Absolutely. I think this is a great question because we have been doing it at, you know, PZ, pre-Zoom. We have been doing the virtual onboarding for so many years. And I'd say, you know, tips and tricks in the interview phase. And I know you said onboarding, but we consider, you know, this a part of the whole experience. In the interview phase, using a variety of different mediums to contact that employee, potential employee candidate is so important because you get to see through that virtual aspect of it, how they apply for a job. You get to see what their writing and communication style looks like if you're communicating through um, a platform. We use an applicant tracking system called Workable that has the integrated ability to email through that system. And so you get to see their writing style. You get to see their acume in that area. Definitely do video interviews. I think we've all learned that in the last couple months. They give you a leg up on understanding and interacting with that candidate. We do panel interviews via video too, which I think can be interesting to see that dynamic between the employee and our staff. But use tools that make this easy. I know a lot of companies do this already, but we use self-scheduling interviews. So an employee can go on, click the link and self-schedule. And that is almost a tool within itself to see who schedules first, who schedules a couple days out. And then you can kind of compare, were they prepared? Were they not prepared? Who doesn't take that proactive initiative? So some of those things can kind of inform you about what your candidate looks like virtually, which is really important in this virtual environment because you're going to be working with them virtually. Something else that's been great since we've done this for so many years before Zoom, before video interviewing was a thing is that we get to know our candidates' competencies. We get to know their resume and how they work without ever seeing them. And I think that's really an advantage for us for diversity and inclusion participation. I think it's an advantage for us because it stretches the candidate and it stretches our staff. Then when it gets to the onboarding phase... We talked about our employee experience a little bit before, but we really strongly believe that every touch point with that employee needs to be strategically and consistently communicated. And so if it's important to us that they learn our culture, that we ask those questions early on and that we carry it through their employment experience, that has to be in the candidate phase. Then that has to be in the onboarding phase. So we use Namely as our HRIS system, and it has an integrated ability to do online onboarding. So they're able to fill out all their paperwork and things like that online in a very quick and secure platform rather than us emailing back and forth with them. I think, again, for somebody that's brand new to an organization, having clear and consistent steps is really important because that really sets the stage for who we are as a company. I think a lot of people forget you as a company are interviewing with each of these candidates. And every time you have a touch point with them, if it's clear and consistent, if it's well thought out, if it's easy to use, that's building that credibility for you as an employer. Because, you know, as we know, cleared individuals are very in demand. 
And so the more that we can show our employees and potential employees that we're really great at these things, and we're going to be a really great employer to facilitate interactions with all the better. So we actually have instilled a Uh, an online welcome course also. So our employees, once they onboard and they've done their paperwork, they get a link to our welcome course. And so for us, again, being worldwide, we've always done a semblance of this, but you know, now in a virtual environment where everyone is working virtually, it's really important that they get that touch point. So our welcome course goes through who we are, our history, a couple different really important training courses. And, And you know, our security training is incredibly important. Compliance training is very important. And it really goes through all of those different steps within a welcome course that gives them the ability to then know who to reach out to, you know, they get the faces of people, we do videos on that, they get to meet and see Lauren and Donna and I, quote unquote, face to face in this virtual environment. And it really gives them that sense of who the company is, and then some follow on action items for them as they go through that onboarding process to become a part of the company, you know, every day. We also do a 30-day survey and a one-year survey so that, you know, people don't feel like they've been dropped in that client environment and not have that connection feedback back to the employer. So we can talk about our entire entire employee life cycle all day, but I know you wanted to focus on onboarding. And those are some of the things that we specifically do to make sure that those touch points are valuable for the candidate all the way through coming on board and employment with us. And you mentioned a couple of tools that I've also used in the past. And I think that's another important thing. Know the right tools for your company, your culture, because there are there's a ton of tech to weed through. But focusing on our cleared candidates, what sort of virtual interviewing tips and tricks would you say work and maybe some things that don't? A lot of us, and this is universal for cleared candidates or not, a lot of us have learned how to use the right background in a Zoom environment and make sure that the quality of the tool that you're using is tested. Go on the tool before, make sure that you can access it, that you have the right browser downloaded, that you can communicate clearly and effectively. Test that out if you can before. And I think that's, you know, universal for cleared candidates and uncleared candidates. You know, I think cleared candidates uniquely have some challenges in how much information they can share um, about the positions that they've held and where they can post. And I'd say for clear candidates, I mean, what you guys do is incredible. And I think it's, you know, it's the number one platform for clear candidates and we love using your platform. But I'd say get out there in other groups, um, whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's, um, you know, whatever that looks like to make sure that you're advertising your availability. I think what we've seen in clear candidates sometimes is the tendency to provide so little information that we can't find them. And so, you know, be out there networking, be in organizations where you can be found because we are looking every day. I mean, we're getting opportunities for cleared positions every day and we want to make sure that you're accessible to us. What else, Lauren, would you say as a good tip or trick? You know, I I think just staying away from making the technology a barrier. You know, Mm -hmm. technology can be a, a huge benefit but it also kind of gets in the way sometimes of the the interactions. We've all had Zoom calls that don't work or Teams calls or whatever. Uh, kind of laughing through it, making sure that that there's still people on both sides of the technology and that the technology doesn't drive only the interaction. But the interaction is still two people or you know a panel with one person or or whatever, but it, it is still a, a personal interaction. And that personal interaction can't get lost by the technology. To the extent that you can have those those personal interactions or get around the kind of discomfort about the technology and really show on both sides of the equation, the personality, the 
the organization, the person, that's really, really critical because in the end, it is still someone, a person hiring onto an organization that has its own culture. And that's really critical. And those are all wonderful points, wonderful advice. And I think it's a great way to you know, end this episode of Cleared Cast. It's important to humanize both the recruiter and the candidate because defense recruiting or even just job seeking can sometimes be a cutthroat environment. So again, very great advice. I really appreciate both of you ladies joining me today. And for more information, you can visit www.global.com. And also be sure to check out their podcast, the WWC Podcast winning with connections. Thanks again, ladies, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.